Happy Easter. What, are you like the 9 o'clock service? I, I don't know. Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Oh, so much better, so much better. We were doing our sound check today, and uh, I just did this thing that, as a kid, this is kind of what I grew up with, and I said, do you, you're the 10 people that were here, bands in the back, people in the booth, I said, do you know how to respond to this? I said, he is risen. And, well, 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 don't, don't do it yet. Don't, don't go there yet. And everybody's going, huh? Uh, happy Easter? No, that's not the response. He is risen. When I grew up, it was this. He is risen and he is risen indeed. Now, that's an old school kind of thing. I think it's time to bring it back. So let's see how it works. He is risen. Awesome. Just something old to bring back in. Now, let's get to this part. Your favorite Easter candy. Reese's eggs. Somebody else. What is it? Peeps. Who said, who said peeps? There's the door. Just, just go now, all right? I don't get that. There. Thanks, Joe. Just leave. You know, now if you would have said black jelly beans, then I'm all in, man. Those are the best. But since I don't have any black jelly beans, what I do have is I do have, we do our annual kind of passing out of some Reese's eggs here. Now, understand this, all right? Understand. Oh, oh, John. John is one of our singers today. There's, he's, he's had like 12 eggs over the last two days. So we're glad to be able to share those with you. And you know what? I'm just going to do this. Listen, here you go. We're just going to pass some out. If you get them, happy Easter. If you don't, I tell you what, I'm going to do this bag. Who wants a bag? Now, these are smaller eggs, and if I were to throw them, somebody's going to get their eye put out, all right? I'm just telling you, but I'm going to do it anyway. Here you go. Take them. Now, you have to share those with the people around you, okay? Let, let's do that. Here, let's, I, I tell you what, here we go. Ready? There you go. And there we go. Wait, I didn't even get one. How dumb am I? Oh, oh, wow. I think that went in Charlie's guitar. That was a great throw. <laughs> hey, we are so glad that you're here with us. And we're so glad that Easter is today that we can celebrate and, and have just an incredible moment of worship celebrating Jesus today. Let's kick this service off with this video. I'm Shelly. And I'm Joel. And this is Barkley. And we want to tell you a story about Jesus. And Jesus had these friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were good friends. You can check all this. It's in John chapter 11. But Lazarus was getting sick. He was pretty sick. And so they have this friend, Jesus, who can heal people. So they send word to Jesus, you need to come quickly. But Jesus wasn't worried. He told his disciples, God has something big planned. So even though Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for two whole days. Yeah, and then all of a sudden Jesus said, okay, let's go see Lazarus. And the disciples were like, what, are you crazy? 
Jesus, the last time we were in that neighborhood, people tried to kill you. And Jesus said, I'm not crazy. We're going. Time to wake up Lazarus. And you got to remember, Jesus is not dealing with the best and the brightest students here. And so when he tells them that Lazarus had fallen asleep, some of them think he's literally asleep. And they say, well, that's good. He'll get to feeling better once he wakes up. So Jesus just has to tell them plainly, Lazarus is dead and we're still gonna go see him. By the time they got there, Lazarus had been in the grave for four whole days and the house was packed. You know how it is. People bringing casseroles, family coming in from out of town. I mean, it was just crazy. And Martha heard that Jesus was coming. And so she ran out to meet him in the road. And right off the bat, she just says, Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But you're here now, and I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. <laughs> she is still holding out hope. And Jesus told her, Martha, you know your brother will rise and live again, right? And Martha says, yeah, yeah, I know all about the resurrection on the last day, but I'm talking about now. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? Martha said, you're the Messiah. You're the son of God. I believe you. Mary hears that he's coming. She gets up from her morning and everyone follows her thinking she's going to go to the tomb. And when she gets to Jesus' feet, she falls down at them and says the only thing her heart can think to say, that Master, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus just sees her and Martha in their grief and looks at the crowd of mourners wailing. And he's angry. He's angry at the sin and death that's in this world. And he feels for them. And he feels sadness about the loss of his friend Lazarus. And Jesus weeps with them. He looked at the entrance of that tomb and he said, roll that stone away. Martha said, hold up, Jesus. Lazarus has been in there for four days. That is going to be bad. And I wish I could see the look on Jesus' face when he said, Martha, didn't I tell you if you believed in me that you would see God's power unveiled? Because the next thing you know, they rolled that stone away. And Jesus looked up to heaven and he spoke to God, his father, and he said, I'm grateful that you listened to me. You always listened to me. And now I'm asking you for the sake of everyone sitting around here listening. And he calls Lazarus out of the tomb. And this, it's dead by. This, this cadaver comes walking out, wrapped in cloth. And Jesus probably chuckles and says, help him out, unwrap him. This dead thing has now come back to life. And I can only imagine the sounds from the like muffled wailing to the like confused listening to Jesus to the happy crying and sobs of joy that this thing, their brother, their loved one had come back to life. Pretty wild story, huh? And if you think that resurrection is good, then wait till you hear the next one.
Good boy, Barkley. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, you may not get that, but that's an incredibly bold statement. For the past few weeks in our Sunday morning experiences, we've been walking through these sayings by Jesus where he's talking about himself, and they're the I am kind of statements. He says, I am the good shepherd. And if he is the good shepherd, guess what that makes you? You're the sheep. You know, we're the, the dirty, nasty, stubborn, not very smart. That, that kind of describes a lot of us, doesn't it? But if he's the good shepherd, he's not leaving us alone, and he's not looking at us that way. He's guiding us and guarding us and protecting us. That's what he does as a good shepherd. And then he says, I am the light of the world. We're supposed to show God's light through our lives. Now, that may not mean anything unless you find yourself in a really dark place. And maybe God puts you exactly where you are right now for the purpose of shining some light. The exact job that you're in, the exact family that you're in, the exact work environment, the exact friend environment, so that you can show God's love to the people around you. It just takes a little bit of light in a really dark world to make a big difference. And then last week we talked about him saying, I am the vine and we, you and I, are the branches. And it's kind of an interesting thing. I had a tree up here and I cut, cut a branch off of the tree and said, you know what, once this branch is cut off, it's dead. Now it may survive for a little while, but it's not going to produce fruit. You have to be connected to the vine, connected to the tree to be able to produce fruit because that's how God created it, and that's what we know for ourselves. When we cut ourselves off from the vine, from Jesus, our lives always get difficult. They always get hard. They never get easier. And then today we're talking about, I am the resurrection and the life. And you hear that and you go, well, what does that even mean? I'm not really convinced that they knew what it meant completely, and I'm not convinced that we know what it means completely. I think most of us are really good at, at kind of believing that Jesus died, right? I mean, we've seen it on TV. It was a pretty good, pr- pretty good storyline, and, and we've seen that, you know, in, in several different movies, and we know what it means. We know what a crucifixion is. So I think we get the fact that, that death is all around us. And so I think we understand that Jesus died. Not hard to imagine that. Pretty easy to imagine. He was tortured, crucified, and buried. But because I know a lot of people that are capable of anything, including torture and death of innocent people, sometimes we put all of our focus on that part of the story. And maybe you're even a committed Christ follower. Maybe you're even a dedicated believer. Or maybe you're just kind of on the fringe or maybe not even there at all. But I think a lot of us live like Jesus was crucified, that he died, but we don't live like he rose from the dead. We, we, we don't live like that. We don't believe for a second that, wait, wait, there's a resurrection? Because we leave him on the cross. We leave him in the grave. I, a matter of fact, just take a look around you. Maybe some of you are wearing a cross today. It's Easter. That would be reasonable. But does your cross have Jesus on it? Is it a crucifix? Do you have a crucifix on a wall somewhere? Do, do you have a crucifix anywhere in, in your house where you see Jesus still on the cross? What does that mess up for us if we leave Jesus on the cross? 
Well, if we start thinking of Jesus as a victim, it changes a lot for us. Because he doesn't have any power. He doesn't have any hope. He doesn't, he doesn't have any, anything to do for us if we leave him on the cross or if we leave him in the grave. But if we allow Jesus to be resurrected, to stay out of that grave and come alive again, the resurrection changes everything for us. Absolutely everything. Today, Paul and Leah are going to be our visual storytellers. And so I'm going to speak through this, and they're going to do a visual storytelling part through this, so that no matter who you are, hopefully you can connect to this story. And so I want you to keep, kind of keep an eye as we go through this. Now, we're going to focus in on what it means for Jesus to be the resurrection and the life. And we're going to see how intentional every moment and every action that Jesus had, how intentional they were. And I don't know, maybe taking Jesus off the cross, maybe it changes something for you this Easter. Maybe it changes your perspective. Maybe it changes your life. When Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, you need to understand what he's saying. The Greek word resurrection is anastasis. It means standing up, rising up, raising up. And it's an action. It's active. Jesus doesn't just say, I can raise people from the dead. He says, I am the resurrection. It means he has the power to do that. He has purpose. He, he, has, he has everything he needs to be able to overcome anything being thrown at him, whether in this life or whether in death. He can overcome that stuff. Nothing can stop him because he's the anastasis. He's the resurrection. The Greek word for life is zoe. That's a really important word. Now, let me give you a little spoiler, all right, in case you decide to drift off here somewhere, all right? Hold on to this for just a few moments. It's not just that he raised from the dead, but it's the fact that because he did raise from the dead, our lives can be raised from the dead spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally. Your life that might seem a little bit lost right now, might seem a little hopeless right now, might seem a little messed up right now. If that's you, you don't have to live that way. Because of Easter, you have hope because of zoe you have life and jesus provides that through the resurrection and the life now did you catch how bold jesus was being with this statement i am the resurrection and the life what he's saying is i am god now stuff like that really ticked off the religious leaders you're claiming to be God. I'm not okay with that. It really made him mad. He's saying, I'm God. And it infuriated all the religious leaders. And Jesus knew it. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he was like tossing a match into a can of gasoline. He was just waiting for it to explode. That's what he was doing. John eleven forty five. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. That's Lazarus being raised from the dead. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do, they asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. And if we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. And then the Roman army will come and destroy both our temple and our nation. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. Jesus is a threat. 
He's a threat to everything they're doing. He's a threat to everything that they claim they believe in because he's the resurrection and the life. And the resurrection changes everything. Think back to the video we just watched. Remember when, when Shelly and Joel said that Jesus waited a few days before he came to, to be with Lazarus? Was he scared? Was he tired? Did he just not care about Lazarus? No. Jesus, don't miss this, Jesus was in control the entire time. He was in control. Now, now, now you look at that, he knew exactly when Lazarus was going to die. He knew. He also knew that bringing him back to life was going to be the tipping point that set off this chain of events leading to his crucifixion. Jesus is being intentional. It's not an accident. He's in control. Now, about a week before the Passover, which is a huge holiday for the Jewish nation, celebrating when God rescued the Israelites from slavery, Jesus went back to Lazarus's house for dinner. How do you think that went over? I mean, you think he just kind of strolled into town, nobody noticed him? Or do you think the entire town, when they heard that he was coming to their town, just kind of poured out of their houses to see what was taking place? I mean, it's not a big town. They saw, they might have talked to Lazarus that week. Hey, you were dead. You're alive. What, what happened? So they might have had those conversations, or in there, they're in the middle of that, and people were, it was just packed. It was standing room only when Jesus came back to have dinner at Lazarus' house. Now remember, he just brought him back from the dead, and now, here's what's happening. Now he gets ready to ride in to Jerusalem like a king. That's all part of his plan. It's all part of his plan. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. They waved palm branches. They threw their cloaks down in front of him for him to be able to ride over. Jesus is stirring the pot and I love that. I kind of like stirring the pot myself. I like getting things stirred up and messed up and fired up and then being able to come in and, and, and kind of explain things. Jesus is stirring this pot big time, and it's heating things up. You know, whenever Jesus comes riding into town uh, as a king, because it was as a king. He's coming as a king, but not as a conquering king. He's coming as a king of peace. And that was intentional because Jesus was in control. As Passover got closer, Jesus gathered his disciples in a home to share a meal. And then he did something kind of surprising. He washed their feet. Does that freak anybody else out? <laughs> Dirty, nasty feet. It's like my least favorite thing, all right? I hate feet, honestly. And, and he did this thing that, that, that kind of surprised the people there and kind of surprises a lot of us. And when he did that, he told them this in John 11. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done. A few days earlier, what did he do? He raised Lazarus from the dead. A few days earlier, what did he do? He rode into Jerusalem as a king. I mean, that's power. That's absolute power. What king is going to kneel down and wash your feet? What other king is going to have enough humility and mercy and grace and power to lead like that? None. Nobody else is going to do that. No one's going to do it. But Jesus did it to lead by example. That moment takes us into what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. It's just another step in this story that Jesus is unfolding. If you would, when you came in, maybe you picked one of these up. It's a cup. If not, there should be some on the chair racks in front of you or maybe in the aisle beside you somewhere. So grab one of these and hold on to this for, for just a minute. All right? Jesus is coming for communion. Now, they had never done this before. This is Jesus with his apostles in an upper room getting ready to celebrate the Passover. And, and he did this. And if you would, when you get this, where you open the bottom and there's a piece of bread in there, will you take that out and just hold it for a moment? Just hold on to that. Jesus took the bread. There was always bread at meals, and this was Passover, so it was unleavened bread at this meal. And, and he said to his, his apostles, he said, I want you to eat this to remember what I'm about to do for you. They're going, what do you mean what you're about to do for us? We don't get that. What, what does that mean? He said, I'm giving up my life so that you can be free. My body is going to be broken. Now, I want you to hold on to this, and now I want you to take it with me. Understanding that Jesus gave up his life for you. Take this with me. Now turn it upside down and open the juice side. After they all took some of the bread, he said, this wine represents my blood. He said, you get that. We don't get that people of that day understood that sin had to be atoned by a sacrifice. There had to be a blood offering for your sin to be covered. All right? And Jesus said, I'm going to pour out my blood for you for the forgiveness of your sin. We're going to let that sink in for just a minute. Jesus' blood covers you. It covers everything you've done in your past and everything you will do in your future. Let's take this together. Will you pray with me, please? Father God, I'm praying specifically for everyone in this room. God, that they may understand the power of Easter. That they may understand exactly what you've done for them, but it didn't stop with the death on the cross, God. It didn't stop even when Jesus rose from the dead because he's still living and he's still there for us. But God, thank you for allowing that to take my sin and take the sin of everyone in this room and everyone watching online. Thank you for his sacrifice and his overcoming death. In Jesus' name, amen.
After that, Jesus took his disciples and they went to an olive grove to pray. And late that night, a group of Roman soldiers, temple guards, came to the grove with torches and lanterns and weapons. It says this in John 18. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he. Now don't miss this next part because it's way too good. Are you ready? It's verse 6. Jesus said, I am he. And they all drew back and fell to the ground. There's some power there, isn't there? These are hardened soldiers. They, they've been in battles. They've, they've killed people. They've guarded people. They're hardened soldiers. And they step back and they fall to the ground when they realize that it's Jesus that's there. That is so significant. Verse 7, once more he asked them, who are you looking for? And again they replied, Jesus the Nazarene, I told you that's me. And since I'm the one you want, let these other people go. Does he look like a powerless victim here? Does he look like he's caught off guard? He's in the garden praying, goes, oh, soldiers show up. I didn't expect that. And they want to arrest me. What am I going to do? Do I run away? Do I hide? Do I go with them? No. The most powerful being in the universe holds up his wrists and he says, cuff me. He says, go ahead, cuff me. It's my plan. I'm not a victim. I'm the one in control. Go ahead and cuff me and take me wherever you need to take me. Take me away. This is my plan. Now you do what you have to do to be part of this plan. Because that's how it works, right? They ended up taking Jesus to Pilate, this Roman governor. Couldn't find anything wrong with Jesus. No crimes were committed. But the leading priest and temple guards demanded that Jesus be crucified. John 19 says this, Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Now, throughout all of this, Jesus stays silent. Pain, suffering, being arrested, he's silent. Why? Because it's his plan. He's not surprised or shocked by any of it. But Pilate is kind of shocked by it. Where are you from, Pilate said, but Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? And then Jesus said, you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. Pilate thought he had the power. Pilate thought he was the one that was in control, but Jesus was in control. I love how composed he really is in the middle of all of that. That's true power. He had the ability to break off the handcuffs. Pick your favorite movie where your favorite character gets arrested and put in handcuffs, and then they're able to break free. Jason Bourne, whatever that may be. You know, he can break free of the handcuffs anytime he wants to. That's Jesus. He could have called 10,000 angels to come down, destroy all the Roman soldiers, and walk out free. He didn't do that because he, choose, he chose to go along with everything happening because it was his plan. 
He wasn't a powerless victim. But because it was part of his plan, it was intentional. He was in control. He went along with it. Don't miss that. He's not a victim. He's not the woe is me, Jesus with the crown of thorns hanging on the cross victim. That's not who Jesus is in this. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus away, carrying the cross by himself. He went to the place called the Skull in Hebrew Golgotha, where they hailed him or nailed him to the cross, and two others were crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus in between. Again, that's where so many of us leave Jesus. We leave him on the cross. We leave him there. We don't take him down. Now, take a look at every piece of religious art that you can think of. If it's Jesus, he still has the crown on. Or he's holding a little lamb. It's one or the other, you know. Take a look at your your jewelry. Do any of you have crucifixes, crosses with Jesus hanging on them? Do any of you wear those? Probably. Maybe it's time to take those off. Maybe it's time to take Jesus down off the cross because he's not there. He was buried and he rose again. That's where we leave him. But the death was just another step in his plan. And a few days before this, this is what he told his followers in John 12. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. That's the cross being lifted up as he's dying. None of this was a mistake. None of this was a surprise. It was a carefully designed battle plan. And it was created by Father, Son, and Spirit. For Jesus intentionally died for our sins. It's not an accident. And he did it at Passover, which is not an accident either. Now, if you remember, Old Testament, the plagues, and God wanted his people, the Israelites, to be let go from Pharaoh in Egypt. And when Pharaoh wasn't giving in, wasn't complying, God said, this is my last step. I'm going to send the angel of death. He's going to come by your houses, all of your houses, and your firstborn sons are going to die. That's a pretty dramatic step to take. But he told the Israelites, he said, if you, if you kill and sacrifice a lamb and you put the blood over the doorframe of your house, the angel of death will pass by you, pass over you, and your sons will be spared. That's significant. That is incredibly significant. God said, listen, when Jesus dies, he's the ultimate sacrifice. His blood is going over all of us so we can be saved. And it's not just for a few people, but it's for all of us. Jesus died for you, and he died for me. Jesus died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, and three days later, he rose again, just like he said he was going to do. That resurrection and the life stood up, and he walked out of the tomb. John 20, 19 says this, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands 
and in his sides. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus was alive, living, breathing, walking, talking, eating, drinking. He was alive. Luke wrote this, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Friends, those 40 days changed everything. I mean, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, guess what? He's just a good teacher. I mean, he might be a footnote in a history book somewhere. Good sayings, good principles, good man. But nothing more than that if the resurrection isn't true. Those 40 days prove he is exactly who he says he is. A living, moving, breathing God who exists now and who exists forever. And that changes everything. Because without it, you're wasting your time. And you're wasting your life. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. That same Spirit that moved and breathed life, breathed zoe into Jesus, is in us. That means anything's possible. That means that you can change. You can change. You, the person who said, the roof will cave in if I walk into the church on Easter Sunday morning. Guess what? It's still standing. You can change. We don't have to live defeated lives. We don't have to live broken lives. We don't have to live hopeless lives. We can be whole. We can live with hope and peace and love and joy that goes beyond anything we can create ourselves. It only comes from Jesus. He said, I am leaving you with a gift, a peace of mind and heart, that the peace I give you is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. There's a card in front of you. Will you grab that? I want you to take this home with you today, and here's, here's the challenge for you, right? I want you to put this up somewhere where you can see it every day for a few months. That means dashboard of your car, your refrigerator, your bathroom mirror, just somewhere where you can see it every day just for a few months to remind you not just to believe in the death and the crucifixion, but to believe in the resurrection and the life. The words on this card are words that we sang earlier in the service. God's risen son, river of healing, praise, new beginnings, alive and breathing, changes everything, stone that's rolled away, a new life has come. Those are words of power. They're not words of a hopeless victim hanging on a cross. They're words of a risen Savior that died for you. 
I want you to remember that all this was Jesus' plan. Every bit of it was intentional. Nothing was an accident. He chose it and he planned it. He died for us so we can live forever with him. No more past. No more guilt. I don't care where you've been in your past. That's not where you're staying. All I care about is where you're going in your future. And that's all God cares about too. Doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. All that matters is that Jesus loves you enough to die for you. He loves you enough to die for you. We're going to have a few people down front. And maybe for you today, if you need to talk to somebody, if you need to pray with somebody, have somebody there for you, we'll have those people down front for you. But maybe today it's even bigger than that. Maybe today is the day where you take another step, maybe your first step, and do something called baptism. See, Easter and baptism are so connected. Baptism represents Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. When you get into those waters, you're dying to your old self. You're being buried when you go under the water, and you're coming up as a new person, a new life, just like Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. Maybe that's the step you need to take today. Maybe you're going, I'm not doing that on a Sunday morning. It's okay. Listen, my email is on our website, on our app. You can connect to me today. I'll come up at 2 o'clock this afternoon. I'll come up at 1 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning. It doesn't matter. If that's the way you need to connect to Jesus, allow your life to start fresh. I'm here for you. We're here for you. We care. I'm going to ask you to stand. Sing this song with us again.